Leaders in AI is produced by Robinly, a content platform and community empowering the next generation of AI leaders and entrepreneurs. This episode is a recording of a virtual meetup on AI trends and applications for e-commerce and retail that took place on April 30th, 2020. The event was co-hosted by Women in AI, Robin Lee and Talanseer. Featured guest speakers include Bindu Reddy, CEO and co-founder at realityengines.ai, and Ichian Dung, Senior Research Lead at Warmpix AI Research. It was moderated by Margaret Laffin, Vice President of Business Development at Talanseer. What follows is a lively discussion on the latest AI trends and career insights. So Pooja, over to you. Why don't you intro with uh, Women in AI? Hi, everyone. My name is Pooja. Women in AI is a nonprofit, a global nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing the representation of women in AI, as you know, the name. I just want to give a quick shout out to our executive SF team in Women in AI. So that's Janine Ju and Ghana Timko, both of whom are the San Francisco leads. And this event wouldn't be possible without them today. Um, yeah, everyone, like, enjoy the event. I'll drop a link in the chat so you all have the opportunity to join Women in AI. We have a global Slack community, and you can kind of sign up for a newsletter and, and keep in touch for future events as well. Thanks for being here, everyone. Margaret, I'll let you take it away. Awesome. Thank you, Pooja. And I know that the links are in there so folks can uh, check out Women in AI as well. It's an awesome organization. So um, in terms of introductions, my name is Margaret Laffin. I'm the Vice President of Business Development at Talentseer, and I am delighted to be uh, the moderator for today's webinar. And I'm really looking forward to the discussion that we're going to have here um, with both Binju and Ichian. Um, in terms of talents here, uh, Bindu mentioned it there, but for those who do not know us, we are an AI talent search firm. And um, so we work with companies, AI companies around building out their engineering and business teams. Um, we know it's a tough time right now in the market, so we certainly wanna make sure that, you know, if folks here are looking at considering a career move or have been impacted by some of the more recent layoffs, please reach out to us, share your resume. Um, we have over a thousand positions and we have a lot of active clients who are hiring right now. And um, we'd love to work with you if there's a good fit and so forth. So um, please leverage us as a resource. We want to be able to make sure that we can add value back to you and help during these um, certainly difficult times. Um, additionally, I'd love to say to people as well, we do these webinars, we convert them into uh, podcasts. So you see it here with Leaders in AI. So please subscribe to our channel. We have got some great content there. We do a lot of discussions with VCs. So if you're wanting to understand more about you know, where investment is going and so forth, or you want to hear from great scientists and AI leaders such as Joshua Bengio, we've uh, spent time interviewing him and Chris Manning and so forth. So these are great people to, to listen to and to get some really good educational tips and so forth. Um, but for now, we want to jump into obviously today's discussion where we are going to be joined and talking about AI trends and applications in e-commerce. And when we think about this topic and why it's so important and why AI in retail is such um, a hot space right now, certainly from an AI research and application perspective, but also from the business perspective, let's look at some numbers. Um, and these are some pretty significant numbers to express what's happening within the market. So if we look at a recent survey done by Tractia, AI and e-commerce is booming at such a pace that pace that the revenue growth is expected to reach 36.8 billion worldwide by 2025. 
Um, the annual global spending on AI by retailers will reach 7.3 billion by 2022. It's anticipated like that's a, two years from now, that's a huge amount of money. And why are um, companies investing so much? So Capgemini did a survey over 400 retail executives and they found that AI can help retailers save over 340 billion um, USD annually by the year 2022 um, by enabling efficiencies in several processes and operations. And we know that AI is used in many different ways in retail and commerce. And that's why today we are delighted to be joined by Bindu Reddy um, in this conversation. Um, and from who's CEO and co-founder of RealityEngines.ai, and of course, Yijian Dong, who is uh, from Warmpex AI Research Lab. And we're looking forward to a really great discussion with you both because you are heavily engaged and at the forefront of AI research and application deployment in your respective companies. Um, and we look forward to learning more about this. Um, I, of course, said this at the start and to everybody here, be sure to submit your questions in the chat and we can get the, to them throughout the discussion. Um, but give me a few moments to get through the speaker bios. So I'm gonna get started with Bindu and, and describe a bit more and shed some more light into your experience and uh, uh, your great expertise here, Bindu. So you are CEO and co-founder of Reality Engines AI. Um, and before starting your current company, you were general manager um, for AI verticals at AWS. Uh, your organization there created and launched Amazon Personalize and Amazon Forecast, and uh, which were the first of their kind AI services that enable organizations to create custom deep learning models easily. Um, prior to that, you were CEO and co-founder of Post Intelligence, a deep learning company that created services for social media influencers that was acquired by Uber. And then prior to this, you were previously at Google where you're head of product for Google Apps. Um, so quite rich level of experience there in, in, in various different companies that I know a lot of people would love to have in their resume as well. Um, you do have a master's degree from Dartmouth and BTEC degree from um, IIT uh, Mumbai. So we're delighted that you joined us. Thank you. And uh, let me introduce Thanks for the uh, great intro. Hello, everyone. <laughs> And, and I'll just share an intro on Yichian Dung as well. Yichian is currently a senior research lead at Warmpex AI Research, leading its operations research team. Warmpex AI Research is the research brand of Warmpex. It's a fast-growing, cashier-free convenience store chain um, with over a thousand stores in China backed by Global Capital. And the focus on your team is operations research and machine learning techniques to drive retail operation decisions. Um, and before joining Warpex, you were senior manager of Staples Supply Chain Team, um, where your team were responsible for in helping Staples customer delivery division to reduce operation costs, um, improve service level, and enhance network infrastructure and optimize carrier management strategies. And you have uh, Ichian, you have a PhD from Georgia Tech um, as well. So welcome to today's webinar. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me. No problem. And I wanted to spend a few more uh, moments on the introductions because these are the topics that we're going to talk about in AI uh, trends and applications, right? So I want to make sure that everybody understands the type of background that you bring to the table in this discussion as well and your expertise and experience in this area. So Bindo, let's um, ask you the first question. How have the last, um, I would have said a couple of weeks a while ago, but now it's a couple of months been for, yeah. for you and for the business. Like what have you observed during COVID-19 that has impacted your business or what you're doing? Um, you know, if you're doing anything differently today as a result of COVID-19 in the business. Yeah, no, thanks for the question. Yeah, I mean, um, so just to give people a little bit of context, Reality Engines.ai was started um, early March, 2019. 
And we are a team of around 22 people right now. So we're a startup in every sense of the word. We launched our beta Jan 28th. So we were ready to kind of like, you know, get going and scaling our beta service. We are an AI cloud service, but first of its kind as well. Uh, we uh, basically offer AI as a service to um, various different organizations in uh, e-commerce as well as in retail. And, uh, you know, obviously in a lot of ways, this whole COVID pandemic was unexpected, at least for startups. And I think it's changed pretty much the course of every startup in some significant way. For us, um, it actually in the first few weeks was surprisingly, we saw a huge uptick uh, in beta users. I think staying at home and working from home got a lot of people thinking about how they can learn AI, how, can they, how they can use that extra time to train deep learning models. So we started seeing a lot of people trying to experiment with the service, seeing a lot of people like kind of coming to the service. However, the interesting thing is the last two or three weeks, that uptick is coming down and I almost see a malaise setting in. People kind of basically not knowing when the lockdown is going to come out or ease up or what the effect on the business is. So we went, we saw our beta signups go up this way and now they're kind of here. So we're yet to see like exactly what the impact is going to be. But I feel like generally speaking, there is a little bit more interest in AI now and the revolution which was happening is probably actually going to turbocharge a little bit more. The second thing is in hiring. Uh, we had, uh, you know, we were aggressively hiring to be honest uh, and getting research scientists as well as ML engineers. And over the last few weeks, we have slowed down just because we're, we have a lot of money in the bank. So it's not like we're, oh, we need to like, um, you know, kind of completely uh, stop, but it's uncertain times. And I feel like everybody's doing that, which is going to uh, basically slow down at least uh, uh, new hires for some time now. So those are the two big effects I'm seeing. Right, so an increase in people researching and uh, leveraging your product. And then also on the hiring side, you have a bit of a slowdown right now, seeing where the market's gonna go as well. Awesome. Ichian, same question for you. How's it been at Warmpex um, AI Research Unit? Like, how have the last few months been for you in terms of the research work that you're doing? Yeah, so here's a very good question. And um, so apparently I'm not the CEO of this company, so I cannot speak on behalf of my employer. All the opinions here are just my own and from my own observation. So um, from what I can see, our business remained really well during this pandemic. Period. So we even opened our first store in the southern cities, where we have a lot of um, like a pandemic scenarios going on. And uh, we also was able to execute the first touchless takeout food delivery, if I don't remember wrong. So I think this time period actually created a unique opportunity for our company. People start to, to realize hey, you know, it's very important to have a convenience store around you and you can go there for essential supplies. So I, uh, from what I can observe, this whole period uh, was kind of creating like a kind of a unique opportunity for us to grow and to remain strong in this time period, yeah. Right, so you're seeing as a result of the pandemic, for example, that more people are familiar with your stores because you have a convenience store that's opened all the time. It's cashierless, even though I know when we were discussing this in the prep, you did say it's not, there is a human in the loop, right? You do have people who were there um, who can help out and, um, you know, around security or that, but but more or less it is um, a cashierless uh, convenience store. So you can 
you know, folks are concerned around interacting with others or touching services or so forth, they, they can do this um, more easily, right, with what you have, what you have in your, in your stores. Yes. So because of our um, technology, so we don't rely very heavily on human labors, and that makes uh, the whole uh, operation much easier during this pandemic period. So people won't feel that scared to come in because there's a lot of people uh, in the store, and then we can still provide very quality service to our customers to give them what they need for their everyday life with a very a short, short distance to their um, their home because they're all in quarantine in the home during this time period. Right. Um, so thank you both for that. Um, what we want to do now is we want to put up our first poll um, to understand a little bit uh, better who is in our audience today in terms of the sectors uh, that they are in. So whether it is retail or e-commerce, and this will run just for uh, a few more seconds. Um, so it's been a very interesting time, it sounds, Etienne, from your um, store perspective in terms of people have been able to access it pretty well um, during this time and that you're more available and the convenience aspect is, is pretty good as well. Um, so we'll want to talk a little bit more to you during this session. And the next question that we're going to discuss is a bit more around the applications of AI that you're working on. So I want to give both you and then Bindu, same for you as well, a bit of time to prepare for that. So. Um, Oh, we actually have a lot of people who are not in retail or e-commerce um, on uh, dialed in tonight. So we've 63% who aren't. Um, and then next we have 31% uh, of participants on this call are in retail and then 6% are e-commerce. Um, so this is certainly a good opportunity for, for us here to spend some time helping educate around what is happening within the the um, uh, the AI space for retail and e-commerce, especially for folks who are not engaged right now. Um, so Etienne, given you're building state-of-the-art uh, technologies to facilitate new retail logistics from storefronts, warehouses, manufacturing, can you outline specifically what AI applications you're working on? Yes, so we're trying to use AI technologies to help us digitize the physical world and then the physical operations so that we can make more uh, smarter decisions and more insightful decisions when we make any buying decisions, operation decisions, uh, you know, where to open our stores, those kind of decisions. So because we have this kind of technology and we can, you know, operate more efficiently and identify a lot of bottlenecks during our operations to reduce cost, and then at the same time, increase our profit. So we, uh, in, in a summary, so we use kind of like a digital AI technologies to help us to um, make more insightful decisions. And then that whole decision evolving from what product, uh, how to set up our supply chains, uh, how to set our pricing, how to do assortment, how to do store layout, all the elements involving uh, opening and operating a retail store, we try to digitize all of that and then they use the digitized data to help us, you know, do a lot of optimizations and then learnings so that we can do more customized service to our customers and bring our uh, store more close to our customers' needs. Great. And are you implementing like computer vision applications, NLP as well within the work that you're doing? 
Um, yes, it's not within my team, but within my our branch, we have teams working on those computer regions, trying to use computer vision technology to digitize our store uh, store environment, other physical operations. Right, right. And and Bindu, for you, we know Reality Engine's AI, it helps create uh, large-scale, real-time, real customizable deep learning models. And these systems generate accurate predictions that you can infuse into all aspects of your customer experience or business processes. So what type of AI projects are you working on today in retail and e-commerce? Okay, so just to take a little bit of a step back, um, in retail and e-commerce, the, you know, the 10,000 pound gorilla obviously is Amazon. And um, uh, if you look at Amazon, the reason why Amazon is Amazon, I'd like to say is deep learning. Because um, deep learning has enabled them uh, in pretty much all aspects of e-commerce and retail to some extent to become who they are because it enables kind of getting uh, a product from a particular fulfillment center, knowing which product will get sold when. So the logistics of storing it, optimizing the inventory, figuring out how long it takes to ship, all of that is an AI model somewhere in the background doing the work for Amazon to the, you know, the customer experience of recommending the right product at the right time, right? And so the, one of the reasons why we believe at least retail and e-commerce are very ripe for a kind of an AI disruption is that there are like right now at least thousands of retailers who are either still mostly brick and mortar companies or, or do have some digital presence, but they are still kind of not completely AI transformed or AI first. Mm -hmm. And I think this right now, what Reality Engines is helping people do, and we're working with, um, I would say at least three large retailers. I'm not going to name them, but one of them is a big flowers company. So you can guess what that could be. One of them is a very large electronic components retailer. And uh, what we're basically helping them do is kind of transform their business in three different ways. The first one really, and which really a lot of people care about is forecasting. Um, retail is hard because you have to have the right inventory at the right time and in the right location. If you don't have that, you're not meeting people's demands. And, and if you have too much of a particular product, you're um, you know, overusing your uh, fulfillment center space. So doing forecasting right and being able to forecast exactly how much of a product you will sell is actually a very interesting and a very hard science. And that's where we kind of come in. Uh, our deep learning based forecasting is, is kind of new, two to three years old, I'd say, but it's probably the most accurate forecasting there is today. So if you look at some of the papers which have been published by Uber or Amazon, to some extent Google, um, on around deep learning and forecasting, you will see that it does much better than other forecasting methods. And Reality Engines right now has a demand forecasting service, which you can just pretty much use right off, um, uh, you know, right off the service without too much customization to be able to optimize your inventory. So that's part A. Part B is personalization. Um, I think everybody has used any kind of um, retail uh, a website or an e-commerce website or have used YouTube or Netflix knows the power of recommendations. 70% of all YouTube videos are um, watched through a recommendation. 30% of all Amazon uh, purchases are made because of a recommendation. And what we're seeing now is the other retailers, the non kind of tech heavy retailers now really jump on that bandwagon to basically customize every aspect of their customer experience, whether it's personalized emails, personalized uh, website, personalized app and so on, so that you can actually really get to people um, you know, um, at the right time and give them the right product. 
So that's the kind of the second big aspect of this. And the third aspect of this is the last fulfillment aspect, which is basically making sure your fraud and your logistics happen correctly. So this is where you want to make sure that you have zero fraud because again, retail is a very low margin business and that should be a, a ideally a deep learning model. And then you want to make sure that your product is actually delivered at the right time. And that's again, a model which can predict how long it takes to ship things from a particular fulfillment center where you should ship this off. So in all of these three um, kinds of parts of the business, you can actually infuse AI and get your business to be at least 15 to 50% more efficient, both in terms of revenue as well as cost. Right. And I think with both your answers there, you're very focused on the operational side, right? I mean, Ichi and you, you guys are working on that as well. So I'm, I'm assuming that everything that Bindu has talked about is, is part of your work here as well um, in terms of operational efficiency. Yes, exactly. Great, great. So we want to spend a little time now doing, let's do a reality check on the state of AI applications today, because there is a lot of noise in the system. And then, you know, there's some very, very solid use cases coming through. Um, so from a high level perspective, uh, where do you see AI research, adoption, deployment today? I know there are three big ones, but definitely give us your high level summary of how you see this today. Um, Bindu, perhaps you want to go first. I think AI research is actually in a really, really good place generally. I mean, I don't know how much of the audience actually is into pure research, but if you are, uh, you're going to see, you're going to know already that all of the top conferences have had anywhere between, I don't know, four to five X increase over the last couple of years in terms of uh, uh, submitted papers. Um, and there is a lot of research which is going on in a lot of the key institutions. Um, and um, generally speaking, especially when it comes to neural nets, there's a lot of interest and we see a lot of leaps, uh, kind of progress happening in leaps and bounds there. Even today, for example, in OpenAI, OpenAI came out with a music maker of sorts. So you're going to see some press release or the other from, a, from the top institutions. Yesterday, there was a release from Facebook around like a state-of-the-art chatbot. So I feel like research is actually in a good place and will continue to be, uh, be in a good place um, you know, in terms of AI. Um, where um, actually kind of uh, things lag is adoption. And part of that reason is if you do a lot of like uh, surveys with organizations and you say, hey, how much of your organization is, uh, you know, infused with AI or how much of, uh, I mean, how many processes have machine le learning embedded in, uh, in them today, you're going to get answers like 10, 15, 20%. Very few organizations are going to come up with an 80% answer, unless you're Google or someone. And the big reason for that has been that AI adoption has been very difficult. Putting, um, doing AI research is one thing, and it's pretty hard, but actually putting a model in production, maintaining it, retraining it, and keeping it alive is really difficult and really expensive today. We think it'll catch up, like in the next couple of years, you're going to see AI adoption skyrocket. But part of the big uh, problem there has been talent. You know, it, it, it still requires esoteric talent to deploy um, and you know adopt AI in a big way. And unless and until that talent gap is somewhat closed, or there are enough tools for the existing talent to use and kind of 10x themselves, we're still going to see that issue with adoption again. Though in the next two to three years, I think that will um, you know that problem goes away. Now the last one, deployment, is kind of um, I would say somewhat uh, you know attached to um, adoption. But having said that, 
there's lots, lots of organizations actually are excited about AI. I mean, there's so much hype, there's no doubt about that, right? But, and they want to adopt AI, but when it comes to actually deploying it, they have a lot of hurdles. The first one, of course, is just pure like plumbing hurdles. Like how do I get things into production? What are the kinds of like um, monitoring tools I need to have? How do I make sure my models are giving me the right predictions? The second big hurdle is getting ROI. Proving ROI with machine learning is a non-trivial, um, you know, kind of exercise. And I see a lot of people kind of stumble from, you know, that uh, leap that you have to do from having a model which works in the notebook, but ha not having a model which works in the wild. And uh, that will also get better as we get better at things like online learning, as we get better at like more robust methods. Supervised deep learning or supervised learning in general isn't very robust right now because um, it kind of sometimes tends to overfit. And when it sees new, um, uh, you know, new kinds of data, it doesn't really work. So as I think all of them in some ways are related, right? As research becomes better, as we get more and more robust techniques, you're going to see that adoption curve increase, you know, increase as we get more and more better tools. You're going to see more and more production. So I would say in the next two to five years, especially in retail, you're going to have almost every single retailer and e-commerce company be completely AI first. Right. And, and before each and before I ask you the same um, question as well and your thoughts on the state, the reality check for AI today, um, Bindu, what about the cost? Right. You talked a bit about the ROI, but what are your thoughts in terms of the buyer opportunity and what are companies? Are you still seeing them doing use cases and then do the trial by the after that? Like where are you seeing this come out in terms of the ROI? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, in a lot of companies, especially retail and e-commerce, they tend to be low margin, as I've mentioned before. So they don't want to spend too much money upfront. And the problem with AI is, especially if you want to have like a big AI team, you have to spend a lot of money upfront, right? And so um, I've seen people actually, at least retailers, either go with the services approach or with the tools approach. So they either get an AI consulting company or they talk to someone like us who is an AI tools vendor. And yes, they do want to like try before they buy. So almost every one of them will do a proof of concept, you know, usually a paid pilot. And only when they see the ROI, at least in the offline metrics, will they then go put that model into production and see how it works. The other issue is, even if the model looks good, like I said before, once it goes into production, it might not look that great. So there is again, a cost there to putting that model in production. And we're seeing more and more people now take that cost, willing to take that cost and get to that place. But you know, that's kind of the hard slog. Right, no, thank you for that. And Etienne, do you share some of the same views as well around AI research, um, the deployment adoption and deployment, or what are your thoughts on reality check on the state of AI today? Yeah, definitely. A lot of things Bindu talked about, I see the same in the industry. So for research, we do see a boom in this industry. We see lots of papers, a lot of people start to learn AI and trying to join this career and trying to develop their career in this industry. And we do see like computer visions, active learnings, transfer learning, those kind of techniques being mentioned a lot in those papers, in publications, and in the, uh, in the media streams. Um, so the research part is definitely very booming and it's really promising. We see a lot of uh, good papers and the research results coming out from those. In terms of uh, adoption, I do see that currently like, there is a trend for traditional business to adopt more AI solutions. 
So for example, our business, Yen Yifeng, uh, won't practice AI research. So like uh, for like, traditionally, a convenience store is just like a store near your uh, community or uh, neighborhood. No one will think about a convenience store as an AI-backed or uh, technology-backed company. And now we're, you know, our company started this trend and our goal is to make sure all our decisions are digitized and backed by all those AI technologies. So we do see this adoption, but also we, I see from just what I, my experience, I do see it as a slow trend for bigger, like uh, more well-established companies because they, they have a lot of existing operations, existing methods. So the adoption of more uh, state-of-art methods requires a lot of uh, spin around, requires a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I would say a lot of preparations than a new company. So the adoption part, definitely I see like uh, for big companies is a very slow and sometimes painful process. Um, in terms of real application, it is where I see like we need a more smooth transition from research to real application. So in research, I, I can see papers, they talk about very ideal situations, they talk about very uh, good clean data. But in real application, we seldom see those situations. Our data are tinted and then though sometimes we don't have enough data. Um, those produce the first layer of difficulty in the real-world application. And the second one is the infrastructure, right? So sometimes when we run like uh, academia papers, all the problems are really small scale, but when we get this into real application, we need like a much larger and scalable solution. So the uh, hardware infrastructure is definitely a very uh, hard requirement for some AI adoptions or AI real-time applications. Now, another part is really like the ROI part, the money part. So from for AI research, from the initial de uh, de exploration to the final deployment, it requires a lot of investment sometimes. And some companies may just want to solve the problem at hand and they don't want to produce or uh, have a long-term solution. So those big investments may be like a big hurdle for those companies and they don't want to go ahead to adopt more AI-based uh, AI solutions. And finally, I would say the, um, the deployment part also have like the real implement implementation. So let's say I have a I have a algorithm or have an AI-based uh, solution. I want to implement it in the real world. But when we get into reality in the real application and operation, we see a lot of difficulties. So uh, I want this AI application to be up, be up, operated in this way. But in reality, it may be operated in a thousand different other ways, uh, different from what you thought it could be. And it may give you the false uh, implement, uh, impression that this method doesn't work, but it's really not the methodology's problem or the algorithm problem, it is how this algorithm being deployed in the reality. So I do see there is a trend uh, going on uh, in academia, in industry, people talk more about AI, but I do see there are some uh, milestones we need to conquer to make AI more widely applicable in our everyday world and in those especially traditional uh, industries. Right. 
And and I know we had a specific question around the challenges and adoption of AI, but I think you've both like clearly have covered that already in terms of, of what's there. Um, but let's talk a bit around the trends as well, around what you're seeing. So when we're thinking about new trends in retail or e-commerce, um, again, can you both share some of your thoughts around what you see trending right now and what we might expect to see in the next couple of years evolve within either the store or the e-commerce process or so forth or retail online. Um, so uh, Bindu, maybe you can go first with this. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, I see two main trends. Uh, one, I see a lot, uh, there was, um, I would say about a decade ago, maybe you know, maybe more than a decade ago, you, see, you saw a lot of retailers, um, I mean, some of them unfortunately are going bankrupt now, but People like uh, Gap and Macy's and, you know, the Targets, the Gaps, the Macy's, uh, the Walmarts, um, all of them went digital, clearly. And they spent quite a bit of time and money um, getting their digital presence up and running and getting their e-commerce sites up and running. And then just recently, I would say even a year or two ago, there hasn't been that much excitement about their digital uh, properties because a lot of their sales still come through the brick and mortar uh, stores. Uh, and there, there wasn't that much kind of like super um, excitement about their digital side. That has very recently changed dramatically. Um, I mean, part of that is probably the pandemic, uh, where people are realizing that look, eventually people are going to be very comfortable shopping online, whether it's on, whether it's fashion, whether it's uh, you know kind of uh, groceries, whether it's kind of other retail goods. So um, we are definitely seeing kind of the back to kind of like how do I make my digital website much more. Uh, uh, AI friendly or AI first, they all have some level of, uh, you know, machine learning or some level of rudimentary kind of personalization on their sites, but they all want to go to take it to the next level. So you, you are, at least we are seeing a lot of interest with retailers saying, or with e-commerce websites saying, hey, we need to uh, to do a little bit more. We're also seeing kind of a move towards things like uh, more of those, what I'm going to call fancy features. So things like subscriptions. So you're seeing a lot, a lot more people wanting, at least the fashion retailers are thinking and wanting to do things which are a little bit more like Stitch Fix, where you have user profiles and you could potentially send out, uh, you know, kind of recommendations and even better boxes uh, to uh, users who can try things on and then take it back. So you, you're definitely seeing interest in that. We're definitely seeing interest in that. Uh, I, I'm going to go back to saying that there's a lot of interest amongst um, a consumer um CPG companies as well as retailers to get better at forecasting. In the, the COVID situation, actually makes it, you know, more kind of like uh, uh, important that you have to be able to forecast how much of something you need. Now, um, unluckily, AI models aren't great uh, at predicting COVID, right? Obviously, when we uh, when we had this um, uh, pandemic in the beginning, we had this big, uh, huge need for toilet paper. Now, no AI model will get that very well. <laughs> but what AI models can do is they can say, hey, based on the weather, based on Twitter trends, based on seasonality, this is how much you will need of a particular good. And the more companies can get better at it, the better off they are. So I would say the two big things are personalization and forecasting from an e-commerce side. Um, and, and the trend is very high on those things. And then there is this kind of, I would say, a mini in terms of like the number of people, but there's there are uh, there are a significant number who are going who are thinking of these what I'm going to call the fancy AI features, whether that is uh, the Stitch Fix style stuff or even more fancier stuff, which I'm sure uh, 
you know, uh, deals with computer vision, where you're basically trying to model a particular dress or, you know, or have like lipstick on your face, which you can see through a virtual app. I think there's more excitement around that stuff as well. Right. So you certainly see from the operational perspective, forecasting will just continue to mature and get uh, better, right? Because it's not there yet. Uh, but from then the like front of the how like in retail, the commercial aspect of it, things will get fancier, more attractive, you know, do more things for you when you have a new app, right? You know, do your makeup, do your styling. Um, I guess I know one of the big issues coming out of um, Thanksgiving last year and Christmas was like the returns, right? It seems like this whole returns angle has not been fixed yet, right? Um, there's still a lot of churn and there's still a lot of money being burnt in that space. So it'll be interesting to see how retail addresses that as well. <laughs> okay, I, I, yeah, no, I think uh, uh, that, that's the whole uh, issue generally with returns uh, uh, has also been kind of like, to, you know, how do we make that more and more streamlined? Uh, and to every aspect of this, there is kind of like predictions where how, how I mean, how much, uh, uh, you know, how much are, uh, how much of the inventory gets returned? What do you, what do you do with it? And retail hasn't been great at that. But the second aspect of this too, what you just said, um, you know, the more you can have the consumer like and try and decide that they want the good, the better. So in a lot of ways, the Zappos model or the Stitch Fix model is what I'm going to call like a Band-Aid model because one of the reasons it exists is that people can't really try out their clothes online. Um, and the more you can get better at that, the lesser the problems with kind of logistics and shipping and returns and all of that stuff, because now you can actually virtually see how you look like when you try things out. Right, absolutely. And Ichin, for, for you then at Warmpex, right, you have a whole other problem to solve for in some different ways, right, because it's around what the future on the operational side is going to be. But then also, you know, grocery is different from, let's say, you're a retailer like a Macy's or Nina Marcus, right, it's a very different product, you're offering very different things. So where are you seeing the grocery aspect um, mature where are you seeing this trending you know as, and what are you guys working on like as well and obviously don't disclose anything that you're uncomfortable with that has your competitive advantage or so forth but what are you seeing here in the trends for grocery yeah um i think one trend i see here is making the whole shopping experience more customized so um we talk about customized shopping sometimes for a pros for some more expensive stuff. Uh, we, but now we bring this concept to uh, convenience stores and we want the customers come to our stores and feel comfortable and feel very enjoying their shopping trip. So we don't want them to feel it's very deliberate and we set it up for them. So we don't want them to feel anything different. It's just they don't even know what is going on, but all the decisions they make is very customized for the customers in certain region, and they just feel like it is right for me. It is the right place for me to go shop for my everyday needs. So we want to give them this type of feeling. Um, so I, it is some trend I see, like all the AI goes to like a very, go to like a customized solutions. It's not just one solution suits for all, one solution suits for all occasions. We want to provide some customized, very customized solutions for the locations, for the customer, and for the products. And that makes also AI very, like this solution very fun, not only for our customers, but also for our, uh, I would say for the, for the, our industries, right? So people 
can be freed up from certain repetitive work and they can transfer the knowledge to the AI algorithm or AI technologies. They can collect the knowledge expertise from the human beings who used to make the decisions and then to help them make a better decisions. Um, so that also brings up another trend I see. So traditionally, I think just my pers my perspective, like uh, I used to think AI like something free people entirely from this whole work and for whole decision making process. But as I'm more involved in this, I feel like it is now true. It is more like a human in the loop. The need human in this loop provide guidance, and we also want to get human in this loop to provide certain, um, I would say, feedback to this whole AI technology or AI um, AI lifecycle or AI AI algorithm lifecycle products. So those are the two trends I see. Like the AI makes things more customized, and also the other trend is we have more human in the loop AI products or AI solutions. Um, and uh, finally, I think AI is also a very good way for help for help us documenting our knowledge of everyday operation. So I do see like for certain uh, companies, I mean talk about the operations, it's really just words by words. They have different different generation workers transfer those knowledge from one generation to another generation. So I think AI technology is a good way to help us document the digitize those knowledge and transfer them streamlined from one generation to another generation, from one version to another version. Right. And how do you see that maturing within the operational solutions then as well that you're working on? So if you're taking some of this, all this knowledge right in and digitalizing that, like how, how is that changing then how you do your different operational activity? Right. So I think Bindu mentioned about forecasting, right? So I think forecasting is right. a very big challenge for all those retail companies. So all companies want, retail companies want to know what is the right amount to buy, what to buy and when to buy them. So it is a very important decision drives the profit and then the uh, the gross gross income for all those retailers. So AI technology definitely plays a big role in more accurately produce those forecasting. And um, so yeah, so because of those, um, because AI technology and companies can forecast those numbers and then the occasions more accurately, and then the supply chain can be less disruptive, right? So you don't have you can plan your supply chain much longer before the real operation, real launch, and you can get identify those hot hot products much earlier, so you can buy them before it's running out of stock from the manufacturers. And then also you can plan better of the downstream supply chain when to arrange deliver to your stores, when to arrange deliver to your customers. So all those AI technology can help you. Uh, shape the operation more streamlined and more as a cost effective more cost effectively right right so we can see then the whole end-to-end -end supply chain right and then um, as you talk about customizing too right so I'm assuming that uh, you know if you're going to the grocery store that it'll there'll be a lot more um, indications or alerts around what it is that you're purchasing and you know every week and you know where that is if there's going to be an issue around it you know maybe the weather is going to get hotter so you're going to have some item you're going to have that in more demand so you're ahead of all of these different types of forecastings and predictions as well but it ends up in the basket in a different way for the customer too. Right exactly. 
Yeah, I think I think we can. Okay, so just um, in the interest of time as well, I want to get into the last section that we want to cover for for with both of you today, and that's career advice for professionals who want to enter the industry. So, before we jump into some of the questions, we do have a second poll that we want to run. So we want to get a sense again of from our audience participation, you know, where are people at in their professional career, and some of what our questions. Then we want to certainly tailor it to. Um, uh, to, to the audience that we have uh, uh, online as well with us today. Um, but this is interesting. So with both what you said, uh, Bindu and Ichien, both of you are saying, you're seeing the same type of trends moving forward um, in retail. So we're gonna continue to see personalization uh, and forecasting. Uh, you mentioned it was customization there, Ichien. I think that's that's pretty similar to the personalization aspect, but very different from a grocer, right? Um, into a retailer, but we're going to see these areas continue to mature. So when we look at our audience here, we have 40% uh, are, uh, I would say, early stage in their career, one to five years. And then we have five to 10 years, we have 27% of our audience. And then 10 plus years, we uh, are 33% of our audience and we don't have any students on. So the two questions we have then, I believe will suit our, our audience pretty well. Um, so when we did the bios, we could uh, we, we went through this. Um, we talked, Bindu, you have a master's from Dartmouth, right? And a BTEC from IIT, and you've spent time at some stellar organizations, especially who are leading in the whole retail and e-commerce space. And you've sold one company to Uber, and now you're CEO and co-founder of your current company. So for, for those, and we're looking for some like real two to three um, specifics here, um, areas that you would recommend to those who want to enter the industry are very early on in their career. Um, what um, type of advice would you have for them in terms of how you can progress and how to approach or take a strategic approach to your career? Yep, okay. So I'll first focus on the people who have the one to five year experience and assuming that um, you know, there are two, uh, I think, classes there. There's one class where you already have uh, an AI degree of sorts, whether it's in CS with a lot of AI uh, uh, kind of specialization. So you're, uh, you know, you're almost there. And then there's a second class where, you know, you actually may have a CS degree or may have some other degree, but you really want to move into AI slash data science slash machine learning. We'll talk about the second class first because that's somewhat more interesting because the first class is kind of obvious. Uh, so my my um, uh, uh, my advice would be do the following three things if you want to move into uh, a data science or an AI position. The first and foremost, I would say, is... Uh, uh, especially if you want to do something hands-on because uh, it's always a good thing if you're earlier on in your career to do at least a couple of years of hands-on work. As an example, I mean, I, it doesn't get mentioned in my bio. I, when I first started, I was a computational biologist for a couple of years, so I actually did modeling. And then for a couple of years after that, I was a software engineer. So uh, my big uh, advice to people who are out of school is, especially if you're, uh, if you're interested in it, uh, to definitely go do something very hands-on. And the first thing I would do for that is to do a couple of online courses. I particularly like the course that Google offers, which is free of charge. It's a 15-hour kind of like a bootcamp style machine learning course, very easy to take and you know something which everybody should get started with if they're interested in machine learning. You want to go start there and then you can actually add a couple more courses on which are from Coursera or any of these other things that you might like. Um, I mean, the Andrew Links course is very famous and that's something which you could try, but that's like uh, uh, that comes second. 
Beyond that, I would also like largely recommend uh, going and using YouTube a lot. YouTube has a lot of resources. There are a lot of AI influencers. A lot of the companies, especially DeepMind and Stanford, puts out most of their courses on YouTube. So if you're interested in doing that, I would do that as well. So that's the kind of the education process part of it. The second part of it, and this is pro this is probably the most important thing, and nothing really beats this, is somehow trying to get yourself um, involved in some sort of a data science or an AI or machine learning project. Um, and you can do that within your existing company, or you can do that when you're switching jobs, or you can even do that with a hackathon maybe. But you want to do something which is hands-on and practical. Uh, I mean, if you can't do any of that, you can at least start going through some AI workshops. So doing courses is one thing, actually implementing things, and actually like doing a hackathon or actually producing a model is a completely different thing. So I would deeply rec I would definitely recommend doing that second. And then uh, the third thing is, um, beyond that, kind of keeping track, once you know of all the concepts, once you understand things like, oh, what's transfer learning or what's supervised learning or whatever, you know, all of the stuff that you really need to know, uh, I would keep track of what's going on in this field. That's very um, important because the field changes dramatically year upon year. So if you did all of these three things, it's actually quite easy to get into the field and also to do, do well, even if you were in that bucket of like being uh, uh, kind of early on in your career and still not having that much AI expertise. If you already have the AI expertise, uh, things uh, tend to be obviously much easier here. My recommendation would always be to pick a company, uh, which which is what uh, which is much more of uh, what I'm going to call a pure AI company over an applied AI company. And by that, what I mean is, if you have the if you have that choice, by that what I mean is. Uh, there are lots of companies today which talk about applying AI to a particular use case, and that's interesting. Um, and there's uh, even more um, examples where people are like, actually, let's take Uber. Uh, you know, Uber is using AI for, say, um, you know, figuring out the ETA on rights. That's a really good ML project, but it's one example. Right, it's it's taking um, uh, machine learning and applying it to that particular example in that particular company. While that's somewhat interesting, I think it's far more interesting if you worked in a company which is maybe taking AI and applying it to the whole domain or to a particular you know class of projects. Or even better, I mean, and, and I don't mean this to be a pitch to our company, but even better, a company like ours where um, we are basically building uh, new AI techniques. Uh, for a whole array of uh, whole, uh, you know use cases, the reason for this is this way you go, you are going to really kind of like solve a multitude of problems as opposed to being fixating on one particular problem. So that's what I would say: pick pick a, a job or a career which uh, which is more towards like the techniques. If you're um, you know further on in your career and you're looking for more management jobs, again I think nothing beats understanding basic concepts and learning about. Uh, uh, you know ml so i still would recommend the 15 hour ml course which is really good for even like beginners uh, and then from there on trying to like uh, use twitter a lot i find twitter to be a very um, very useful tool especially if you're going to follow a bunch of ai influencers very easy to look up uh, and you know and a lot of people tweet out a lot of like useful nuggets and insights about ai i would do that and then again i would start thinking about how you could incorporate ai in your current job usually for people who have more years of experience it's a little it's a little more difficult to go pivot in or go to a new job or what have you but 
you know, it's much, much easier where you are in your position to find something which has the machine learning associated with it, which is good for the company, which is good for you. And in, in a lot of ways, you're going to be the change maker. And uh, I, I would strongly recommend that more and more managers in various different, as well as like, you know, individual contributors and organizations do that. Right, no, that, that that's great. That's There's a lot of uh, uh, different sections there that folks can follow and we can um, help to summarize that as well. Um, but certainly the online courses, hackathons, keeping track of what's happening in the field and research, um, follow so like uh, the AI influencers right on Twitter or thought leaders and so forth as well in terms of what they're doing or how they're addressing the topics. Um, definitely hearing from you, it's a bit harder perhaps in some ways to pivot um, in your career right into deep AI, um, but find ways within your company in which you can start to channel yourself, um, be it on the business side or where it is that you can add value as well from AI project perspective um, are different things that your companies are doing. This, this is all, these are all great um, uh, career advice uh, sections as well. And um, Etienne, for those in the industry and who want to progress um, or be promoted, what would you have or two to three different areas that you would recommend that they focus on? Yeah. So I think the first thing to me, a person I think very important is you have to be really passionate about this. So it's just be, you. I I don't want people to under. I always tell my uh, my friends who want things to give some advice. Don't just enter this field because it's hot, right? You want to enter this field because you're really passionate about this. Um, so this is very important for your future career and also for your future success. Now, the second thing I think um, very important is to be really good with data processing, data manipulation. So a lot of time, a lot of time I do see candidates that they're really good with understanding the model. They can do a lot of uh, like equation derivatives but they're not really good with data. And it is a really big blocker for them in order to build a very meaningful machine learning or AI, uh, AI algorithms or products. Because data, data is a core for all those um, technologies algorithms. You need data to train those models and you need to build any meaningful solution or draw any meaningful insights based on data. So you really have to be really good at massaging your data, manipulating manipulate your data to make sure you get the right input into your model a very, uh, have a very very streamlined pipeline so that your model is not handicapped by those data input and uh, the second thing is the foundation so like uh, i do see people sometimes talk about like uh, different types of machine learning models but i feel like uh, sometimes it is important to go back to the basic understand what are those models build upon and it's really important for you to want to go deeper and further in this career because knowing the model's name is important knowing how the model offers important but then also it's very important to understand what is uh, the foundation of this model what kind of cost function is used right what is uh, what is the mechanism of this model so that you can apply this model at the right occasion. You don't just simply train the model, take the parameters, and you may draw a very wrong insight just by doing so without a very good solid foundation of understanding the model. Now, the third thing I think Bindu already mentioned is a hands-on. So, you know, when you read a book, uh, listening to those online courses, 
you learn a lot about the machine learning AI models. It is very different from building the model yourself from scratch. And a lot of times you find out it's not as simple as just people describe from the YouTube videos or online courses. You really have to do it once yourself to understand what it is about and what are the difficulties and how to make it really work for your problems or applications. Um, and the first thing I think it is being creative. So we some uh, in class or uh, in book, uh, a model sometimes is told with an example and telling you, hey, this model is used to solve this type of problem and is well applicable in this kind of scenario. But when you go to your real application or in real life work, you will see a lot of problems. It's not exactly the same as textbook or not exactly the same as what described in those YouTube videos. You really have to be creative. So sometimes you may use one type of solution that can still, let's say, for recommendation to solve a totally different problem. So being creative and being able to fluently use different solutions for different scenarios is very important. And for you to have a very uh, easy and successful AI or machine learning products. And then finally, I think uh, if you're not in academia, you're in business industries, it's important for you to understand the business, right? So what are the implementations and what are the need really for AI applications. And when you apply those AI solutions to business, you need to understand business to drive and to draw the meaningful solutions and to make good decisions upon those application algorithms. Right. So so that's a lot of great career advice there, Ichion, around you know making sure that you stay you're very passionate about um about the data, like about the field, right? You know, and that this is something you want to be in there. And then, but of course, then there's a lot around understanding the data, knowing the foundation of that um, and understanding how, you know, this is be, how models have been built out or, 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 or their names and so forth. And then of course, spending time, hands-on time and being creative and so forth. These, these are really great um, advice and especially the business side as well, knowing how this is going to add value into the business. Um, I just did a time check and I just realized that we're gone two minutes over six o'clock. I know that we had a lot of questions as well submitted um, in the chat and especially around a lot of system questions. Um, so what we might do is find a way to see how it is that we can get those answered after this. Um, but I do want to be very respectful of everyone's time because we're breaking into the evening. So with this, I want to wrap up our webinar and thank uh, you both, Ichian and Bindu, for your time and for your great insights and sharing your expertise um, with us today. Um, I certainly encourage everybody to come to our uh, Robin Lee uh, to see the replay of this if you want to come back in and you know get into the different sections or so forth but also subscribe to our leaders in ai podcast so that you can see other work that we're doing there as well and sharing great stories experience and expertise um, from thought leaders but to both of you uh, thank you very much for your time and thank you very much for sharing your stories and your insights with us today leaders in ai is produced by robin lee a content platform and community empowering the next generation of AI leaders and entrepreneurs. Are you interested in learning more cutting-edge AI trends and inspiring business insights from renowned scientists, entrepreneurs, and investors? Subscribe to Leaders in AI podcast or visit our website, Robinly, R-O-B-I-N dot L-Y.